Shalom, Mishpochah. Welcome to this week's Kadima Talk, the fruit of obedience. Leviticus 18, verses 4 and 5. It says, You are to obey my rulings and laws and live accordingly. I am Adonai, your God. You are to observe my laws and rulings, and if a person does them, he will have life through them. I am Adonai. So right off the bat, what, what we're pursuing here, and I'm going to weave in and out of this over these uh, podcasts uh, today and probably the following week as well, that God has called us as people to live a higher standard than those around us and those who aren't following God. And what this establishes is his presence with us, which then opens supernatural doors in all that we do. We see in this verse, in fact, in Leviticus chapters uh, 19 and 20, God gives very specific standards regarding relationships, faith, and the rights and responsibilities of his subjects. We live in a theocracy. He's the king and we're the subjects. Why are we called to live to such high standards? God intends you to be a light and standard for the world, your family, your workplace, even in your congregations. We must keep a higher standard than the rest of the world because we are called to be like God. Remember Leviticus verse 26 of Leviticus 20. Rather, you people are to be holy for me because I, Adonai, am holy, and I have set you apart from the other peoples so that you can belong to me. This qualifies us for ministry unto him. This guarantees God's blessings in your life. This opens the doors to God's reward for faithful obedience. This is why we're in the Word every day. This is why I personally journal. This is why I seek him as soon as I get up every morning. Romans 6, verse 22, however, now freed from sin and enslaved to God, you do get the benefit. It consists of being made holy, set apart for God, and its end result is eternal life. Also in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, to God's Messianic community in Corinth, consisting of those who have been set apart by Yeshua the Messiah and called to be God's holy people, along with everyone everywhere who calls on the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, their Lord as well as ours. So clearly here, we see established in the written word that God has called us, believing Jew, believing Gentile, to be holy. And why is that? Because he is holy. But what does it really mean? Many people today don't understand holiness because religion has made up its own definition of what holiness is. You've heard the old saying, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, hang out with those who do. But those aren't necessarily defined in Scripture. Holiness is talked about. It's even sung about. It's preached, but it's not understood. God wants you to live a righteous lifestyle, but righteousness and holiness are two separate processes and entities. What does God call holy? What's on his mind? Well, let's see what the Word says. God states his name is holy. The burning bush was holy. Mount Sinai was holy. The feast days are called holy convocations. The temple mounts referred to as my holy mountain. He calls Shabbat my holy day, the scriptures holy words. He calls Israel his holy people, the land his holy land, and the temple his holy sanctuary. Marriage is holy, tithing is holy, your body is holy, the prophets are holy, and the temple his holy sanctuary. I want us to pause and think about this for a minute. Look how Satan has perverted what God declares holy. Religion has profaned the very words of God. The Temple Mount's prostituted by a false religion. Religion has invented its own holy days. Remember Daniel 7, verses 25 through 26 records that the anti-Messiah 
will speak words against the Most High and try to exhaust the Holy Ones of the Most High. He will attempt to alter the seasons and the law. And the Holy Ones will be handed over to him for a time, times and a half a time. Verse 26, but when the court goes into session, he will be stripped of his rulership, which will be consumed and completely destroyed. So we know that the enemy is going about trying to exhaust the Holy Ones of the Most High God. He's already changed the seasons and the law, the Torah. But going back to what God stated as holy, what do we learn from God about holiness? Holy or holiness is to be exalted, honored, worthy of complete devotion. Holiness means to be set apart from the ordinary, special, separated from mundane and average. What are characteristics of those who choose to pursue God's higher standards of holiness through obedience? Let's read a few. First, they adopt godly values. Their ethics and morals mirror that of what the scripture says. They care for the interests of others. We're to love our neighbor and our brother as ourself. So we care for others. We live lives with integrity. We keep our word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, Yeshua said. Don't make rash vows, we're told in Deuteronomy. Next, they develop their gifts and potential. And this is part of the reason why we're doing these Kadima talks, is to develop your gifting and your potential in the kingdom of God. Next, they manage time and money well. We're good stewards of what God has given us. And lastly, they freely give what they have received. When you walk in God's holiness, vice man-made holiness, and begin showing honor where honor is due, God's presence will invade your life. He will begin to pour out his blessings upon you. This is why this is so critical. The presence of God is what makes you different from the rest of the world. When his presence is with you, people will listen to you when you speak. When his presence is with you, you'll be an effective leader. Elijah challenged King Ahab and Jezebel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 priests of Asherah. He called upon the prophets of Baal, and this is from 1 Kings 18, to sacrifice first. He said, we're going to have a challenge. Your God, Baal, and my God. So he called on the prophets of Baal to sacrifice first. They put up their uh, wood, their sacrifice, their bull. They called upon Baal over half a day, but nothing happened. Elijah even taunted them. He said, shout louder. Maybe Baal's on the potty, or maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's asleep. But then by mid-afternoon, in 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And all the people came up to him. And he said about repairing the altar of Adonai that had been broken down. Elijah took 12 stones in keeping with the number of tribes of the sons of Yachov, to whom the word of Adonai had come, saying, your name is to be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of Adonai. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough for a half bushel of grain. Verse 33, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, and laid it on the wood. Then he said, verse 34, fill four pots with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And they did it. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he said, and they did it a third time. By now the water was flowing around the altar, and it had filled the trench. Then when it came time for offering the evening offering, Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet, approached and said, Adonai, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done this, all these things, at your word. Verse 37, hear me, Adonai, hear me, so that this people may know that you, Adonai, are God, 
and that you're turning their hearts back to you. Then the fire of Adonai fell. It consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Adonai is God, Adonai is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. They seized them, and Elijah brought them down to Vadikishon and killed them there. See, when Elijah spoke, the people jumped. They did what he asked. They responded to him. But what's even more amazing is that by the time all the theatrics and the challenges have come to a peak at the end of the day, Elijah approaches God and says, Adonai, God of Abraham, Yisach, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, Adonai, hear me, so that this people may know that you, Adonai, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to you. See, the people, they had apostatized from God. Remember, this is under King Ahab and Jezebel. This is Israel. They're serving other gods, foreign gods. But in verse 21, Elijah steps forward before all the people. And he said, how long are you going to jump back and forth between two positions? If Adonai is God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. The people had apostatized from God. So how did Elijah gain the ear of the people who heard his voice? We have the same distinct situation in our realm today. So many people in our nation, so many people we know are serving so many other things. How do we get the people to hear our voice? How do we get sway over them? This is the question of the hour. It truly is. How did Elijah do it? Well, first of all, he had courage. He was willing to stand up for God. He stood alone before all these priests of Baal. Verse 22, it says, Then Elijah said to the people, I, I alone, am the only prophet of Adonai who is left, while Baal's prophets number 450. Elijah was willing to stand alone for God. One person can make a difference. Number two, he had great conviction. Verse 24, he said, Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Adonai. And the God who answers with fire, let him be God. And all the people answered, good idea, agreed. Elijah had great passion in his belief. He had conviction. He knew who he served. Number three, and this is a thing that we talk about often in these talks, he had great character. In verse 21, Elijah stepped forward before all the people and said, how long are you going to jump back and forth between two positions? If Adonai is God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. The people answered him not a word. Elijah was honest and real in who he was. He told it like it was. He didn't cut through any dross. He didn't, no smoke and mirrors. He let him have it the way it was. Number four, he had connection. In verse 30, then Elijah said to the people, come here to me. And all the people came up to him. And he said about repairing the altar of Adonai that had been broken down. He had this messianic anointing we've talked about, this charisma. He was able to draw the people to him and to God, and that was the presence of God that was in him. Next, he had credibility. Verses 38 and 39, Then the fire of Adonai fell. It consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Adonai is God. Adonai is God. Elijah gained the people's ears because he got results. Signs and wonders follow them that believe. 
the presence of God was with him because he was obedient to God. And it gave God credibility. He gave God all the honor. Elijah was different, like a young David who had differences that make the difference. A young David goes up to the camp where the armies of Israel are battling the Philistines and Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 20, David got up early in the morning. He left the sheep with a helper, took his load, and set out as Yeshua had ordered him. He arrived at the barricade of the camp just as the troops were going out to their battle stations and shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines had set up their battle lines facing each other. David left his equipment in charge of the equipment guard, ran to the troops, went to his brothers, and asked if they were well. And as he was talking with them, there came the champion, the Philistine from Gat, named Goliath, from the ranks of the Philistines, saying the same words as before, and David heard them. Verse 24, when the soldiers from Israel saw the man, they all ran away from him, terrified. The soldiers from Israel said to each other, you saw that man who just came up? He's come to challenge Israel. To whoever kills him, the king will give a rich reward. He'll also give him his daughter and exempt his father's family from all service and taxes in Israel. David said to the men standing with him, What reward will be given to the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine anyways that he challenges the armies of the living God? The people answered what they'd been saying, adding, That's what will be done for the man who kills him. Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when David spoke to the men, and it made Eliab angry at him. And he asked, why did you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You just came down to watch the fighting. And David said, what have I done now? Verse 29, I only ask a question. He turned away from him to someone else and asked the same question. And the people gave him the same answer. In verse 31, David's words were overheard and told to Saul, who summoned him. David said to King Saul, no one should lose heart because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Saul said to David, You can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David answered Saul in verse 34, Your servant used to guard his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear would come and grab a lamb from the flock, I would go after it, hit it, and snatch the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned on me, I would catch it by the jaw and smack it and kill it. Verse 36, Your servant has defeated both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has challenged the armies of the living God. Then David said, Adonai, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the paw of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, may Adonai be with you. Like Elijah, what makes David different here? Why is he able to fight this Goliath while an entire army trembles in their sandals and won't fight because of fear? Well, let's look at it. Perspective. David's perspective differed from the others. David saw an opportunity for God to move and reveal his power and might against that uncircumcised Philistine. 1 Kings 15 verse 5 says, For David had done what was right from Adonai's perspective. He had not turned away from anything he had ordered him to do as long as he lived, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So we know David was obedient. That's what we started talking about. But he had perspective. And like Elijah, he knew God would get the glory in this victory. Yeshua does the same in Mark 8, verse 33, but turning around and looking at his Talmudim, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said, for your thinking is from a human perspective, not from God's perspective. So David had the perspective of God. Elijah had the perspective of God. Do you have the perspective of God? What are differences that make a difference? 
Number two was methods. David employed different methods in the army. He used proven weapons that he knew would work. Not only did he hit him with a slingshot that he was incredibly accurate with, but David had more than one stone. You know why that is? Because Goliath had brothers. David was ready to go after them all. David employed different methods in the army. He used proven weapons that he knew would work. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, we're told we are human, but we do not wage war with human plans and methods. We too have to use different methods than the world around us. Weapons we know work. Number three, David had great conviction. David's conviction was not like the others. He heard Goliath's rantings, but knew Goliath could be beaten. He had conviction, just like Elijah had conviction. Hebrews 3 verse 14 says, For we have become shares in the Messiah, provided, however, that we hold firmly to the conviction we began with right through until the goal is reached. Great conviction. Number four, David had vision. His vision differed. He envisioned God being revealed to the world as the most powerful God on earth, just like Elijah did before Baal in 1 Kings 18. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 47, David answered the Philistine, You're coming at me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I'm coming at you in the name of Adonai Sevaot, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have challenged. Today Adonai will hand you over to me, and I will attack you, lop off your head, and give the carcasses of the army of the Philistine to the birds in the air and the animals in the land. Then all the land will know that there is a God in Israel. The same words Elijah used. They will know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, And everyone assembled here will know that Adonai does not save by sword or spear, for this is Adonai's battle, and he will hand you over to us. David never mentioned his own name, only God. Number five, experience. David brought real-life experience to the battlefield, not paralyzing fear. 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 through 36, David answered Saul, Your servant used to guard his father's sheep. When the lion or bear would come and grab a lamb from the flock, I would go after it, hit it, and snatch the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned on me, I would catch it by the jaw, smack it, and kill it. Your servant is defeated both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has challenged the armies of the living God. Number six, David had attitude. David had the right godly attitude. He didn't see Goliath as an unconquerable giant, but as a target that couldn't be missed. Verse 37 of 1 Samuel 17, Then David said, Adonai, who rescued me from the paws of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the paw of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, may it be with you. He had the right attitude. Romans 15 verse 5 says, And may God, the source of encouragement and patience, give you the same attitude among yourselves as Messiah Yeshua had. It's all in the mind. It's mind over matter. It's having the mind of Messiah. It's learning to move forward in power and truth with the presence of God in you. Nothing can stop the man with the right mental attitude from achieving his goal. Nothing on earth can help the man with the wrong mental attitude. W.W. Zeej. So this is critical. These are all aspects of what make us successful leaders. People will listen to us. We draw people to us, especially in these darkened times when it appears that the major body of Messiah doesn't have a voice and people aren't listening. If God is in you, if you're obedient to him 
and the presence is overflowing from you, people will hear you when you speak. People will follow you when you give commands. And if you hold the right attitudes, if you have the right convictions, and you get results, people will flock behind you. Mishpacha, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.